Good morning. It is really good to be back and to see each of you. And I'm going to have to show restraint on not giving you an update this morning on Nepal, but that will come in a few weeks and we'll be able to communicate uh, much of what we saw and experienced. And the big question is, how are we doing by way of uh, time zone change? I think we're closing in on the East Coast. So ask me at two this afternoon and we'll see how we're doing by way of energy. The other question uh, that I can't answer this morning is how did my foot hold up since it was less than a year from the surgery to uh, put in what looks like a Swiss army knife inside my foot. And it did great while hiking in the Himalayas until I had to carry my pack on the final day. And I don't think I could have done that a second day. So while, while there, I met the threshold of what my foot is able to do at this point. Um, but I'm very encouraged and I thank the Lord for his safety and for healing and for sustaining us. So it's a great trip. And then Mike Schindel and I will actually be giving an update on how can we respond as a church to what we saw and experienced in the country of Nepal. Well, happy Mother's Day to each of you this morning. Uh, This is a special day where we can honor those who have done the difficult task of raising and nurturing children. That's one thing we all have in common, even with unbelievers, is that each of us has a mother. True? All of us do. And uh, we didn't get to choose our mothers, we, just like we didn't get to choose where to be born. Nobody consulted with me that I was going to be born in Doylestown, Pennsylvania. Okay, I had no choice in that. I could not choose my mother. For me, I'm thankful to have a godly and patient and loving mother. I know that's not the story of everyone. So God, in his mercy, uh, gave to me a kind and loving mother. Uh, He could have just as easily had me be born to a Somali woman or to a woman in Nepal where I would have either grown up under a Hindu or a Buddhist worldview. Uh, So this is a day where we can thank God for his gracious providence to us and his kindness to us in how he has dealt with us. I'm not sure what Mother's Day feels like for you, but knowing the makeup of this church as one of its shepherds, I understand there are mixed emotions when we come to a day like this. Some, some ladies will avoid a service altogether on Mother's Day because of the awkwardness of it or the shame and regret they continue to carry. Uh, Mother's Day is not a one-size-fits-all. However, it is a good day on our calendar to be able to honor those whom we call mother and really, in the spirit of obedience, Uh, obey the fifth commandment in the Decalogue, which is honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. It doesn't say to honor them just when they deserve honor or when they're worthy of honor or when they act honorably. It says to honor them. And so on this day, that's what we're going to do. And it's an important day to remind our ladies of the gospel. Remember, the gospel isn't just that point in time where we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. The gospel is for every day. When that shame wants to lurk back into your life, that's when you have to meditate on and apply and live out, live a life according to the gospel. Now, I want to abandon the more sentimental strand of Mother's Day, and I want us to actually look at the mission of older women 
on this day that we call Mother's Day. Please open your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. Lloyd just read this for us. I want to make some introductory remarks on this chapter. Of course, this is written to Titus. He was left on the island of Crete, formerly a pretty much a pagan island of people. You have this new church, and now Timothy leaves Titus on the island, and he gives him these instructions. And he starts in verse 1, and he says this, But as for you, okay, in contrast to the false teachers, as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. So Paul's instructions flow out of a context. They are not given in a vacuum. Much harm is done when we simply proof text a verse but never give it a home to live in. And the home that it lives in is a context. As a matter of fact, if you abandon context, you can make the Scripture say anything you want it to say. So here is the context. Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine or healthy teaching. And that healthy teaching and the context of healthy teaching not only allows us to say that's what those words say, but that's what those words mean by what it says. Okay, so when it says workers at home, as it is attached to instructions to women, that's what it says. Now, what does it mean by what it says? Does it actually mean that a woman can never take employment outside of the home? See, that's going to be very important as we tackle this passage, because we can just float that verse out there. But we have to give it a home in its context. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. We need to be careful as we as we enter into these instructions of the faulty logic. And and you'll be familiar with this once I highlight it, that says that you have no right to counsel someone until you've experienced it yourself. How, How many of you have heard that or at least face that or you go to speak truth into someone's life and they're like well have you have you ever dealt with that and at that point they muzzle you because you've never experienced it Uh, for instance the thinking follows this that you can't really speak truth into a depressed person's life unless you've struggled with depression or you can't guide with scripture somebody who's struggling with same-sex attraction if you've never struggled yourself and folks that is idiotic thinking Because if that were true, then Jesus can't guide any of us. Because he never sinned. And yet he is the only one that can give us hope because he never sinned. So my authority this morning does not rest in the fact that I've experienced, for example, motherhood. And I'll never experience motherhood. I've observed it closely through different women. I've observed observed great examples of motherhood. I've never experienced it. But my authority is not my experience. My authority is not my educational degrees. My authority is not the title I hold at this church. The authority is found where? I hope we get this one right. Where is my authority found this morning? In God's Word. Because all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. So when it says something to younger men, even though I don't experience what our younger men in this culture, 2018, experience, I have authority to direct them. And when it says something to older women, though I've never been one, I have the authority of God's Word to say, this is what God says to you. 
on Mother's Day to this assembly. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So with that, let's look at Titus chapter 2. And we're going to go to the end first. I want us to look at verse 11. And this morning, here's sort of the big idea out of this, this passage, verses 11 to 14, is that God's grace covers our past and provides purpose and hope for the future. God's grace covers our past and provides purpose and hope for the future. Now, Lloyd already read this, so I'm not going to read um, the actual passage again, but I do want to read verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared... And what has it done? It brings salvation for all people. So folks, here's the first thing that we get from Titus chapter 2.11. When grace appears, grace transforms. You can tell a person who has confronted the grace of God through his son Jesus Christ by the fact that they are transformed and being transformed. That's exactly what grace does By the Holy Spirit, it starts to change somebody from the inside out. Legalism does this. Legalism tries to change somebody first externally so that somehow they can feel more righteous inside. Okay, that's false teaching. The grace that God brings changes someone. It transforms them inside and it does work itself out. That is no longer legalism. That is faith-fueled obedience in response to the grace of God. When grace appears, grace transforms. Notice the target. It brings salvation for who? What does God's Word say? All people. Okay, so this is what it says. God's grace appears and it brings salvation to all people. What does it mean by what it says? Because if I just let that sort of linger out there without the context of home, we're going to end up believing in universalism. That in the end, everybody's going to get saved regardless of whether they respond in faith to Jesus Christ or not. But we know as we compare Scripture with Scripture that that can't be what it says. Because not all will be saved. And we're learning in Revelation that some will actually be sent to the lake of fire. So this can't be teaching universalism. And as we interpret this verse, we understand that this does not mean all people without exception, but all people without distinction. Did you follow that? Salvation appears for all, not without exception, for you must You must be saved. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So either Christ dies in your place and you receive that as a gift of grace by faith, or you die for your sin. But it does mean salvation without distinction. And by the way, that's good news. Because that salvation now is provided to both Jew and Gentile. It's provided to both slave and free. Uh, If we were to consider this assembly, it is provided to American, Nigerian, Jamaican, and Filipino equally. It is without distinction of race or color or status or station. 
So it appears to all people. So it does not mean without exception, but it does mean without distinction. And then notice what it does. God's grace trains believers. Here's what saving grace teaches us. It says it teaches us to say no to sin. So we're going to look at a list of expectations, right? So Paul's going to come and he's going to say, Titus, teach the older women these three things and have them teach the younger women these seven things. And it's going to feel like a list of to do's, right? Don't slander. Okay, don't do this, do this, do this. Um, But it's not good news. It's not gospel if I simply say, stop slandering. And you say, I can't. And I say, try harder. See, that's condemnation. That's, that's self-discipline. This is what the world knows, that they're still enslaved to sin, even though there is a measure of self-denial. What we are saying is that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus and that the Holy Spirit comes to empower, by God's grace, your ability to say, in response to the gospel, I'm not going to slander And there is a faith-fueled obedience empowered by the Holy Spirit to live like that. So when we get to this list, I don't want want our, our ladies, our older women and our younger women, feeling like we've just heaped law on them this morning. This is grace. Grace teaches us to renounce ungodliness. That's what grace does. Grace is so attractive and so beautiful that it looks at the life of Christ and says, yes, that's attractive. And that's the beauty, and that's the grace that is supposed to be seen within our homes. That's why the heart of our discipleship is the grace and glory of God. And then finally, what does God's grace do? It provides purpose and hope for the future. Waiting for our blessed hope. So, the grace of God has appeared. There's one appearing. And it's waiting for Christ's second appearing. So, we live between these two appearings. And knowing that reality of living between two appearings, here's what adorns the gospel of God well. This is what it looks like. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And while we wait for that, We have a purpose. And I want want you to see this in each of the different categories in Titus 2. Look at Titus 2, verse 9. I want you to see the purpose statement. Okay, so so bond servants live like this. Why? Okay, look at verse 9. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters and everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. Why? And two little words are going are to identify this. So that, here's the purpose, bondservants, for these instructions. If you're a believing bondservant, here's why you should live this way. So that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Look at the, look at, okay, back up a little more. Look at Titus 2, verse 6. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. Why? There's those two words again. So that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. 
Now we're getting to our passage. Look at verse 5. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. Why? Why does that even matter in light of the grace of God? That the word of God may not be reviled. So there is a purpose to reverence and self-control. There's a purpose to biblical womanhood and mothering. And godly conduct, by the grace of God, commends the message of the gospel. Now let's look at this. Two, two quick sections as we move into this. God's grace displayed through women. First, older women. And then secondly, younger women. Grace transforms from the inside out. Paul is writing to Timothy and he first says, encourage older women in these three ways. Okay, what three ways does he, does he bring forward? Look at Titus 2, verse 3. Older women likewise are to be, okay, by God's grace, empowered by the Holy Spirit, reverent in behavior. The gospel encourages older women to set a godly example. Reverent in behavior. That's an interesting word, reverent, or a manner that is holy. Older women are to carry into their daily life, into the market, into the shopping stores, into the mall, the demeanor of one who is serving in the very presence of God. That's what older women are supposed to look like when they're observed. An external life of holiness seen in public what is true of you in secret being lived out in the beauty of Jesus Christ in front of other people there shouldn't be no dichotomy between the two this is who you are everywhere you are so he says Titus encourage older women to be reverent in behavior look at what he says next not slanderers in a close community in a smaller village Or on the island of Crete, it would be the older women who would typically know the most about everyone else on the island. And so this caution is given to older women. It seems to be a danger and a caution given to those most likely to fall into it. I love oxymorons. You know what an oxymoron is? Okay, two incompatible truths being said together. For example, cruel kindness. How can you have cruel kindness? Or something that is falsely true. Interesting. What about this one? A holy slanderer. Right? I don't think so. I don't think that goes together. Or she's a, she's a godly gossip. No. You see... So Titus charged them to be reverent in behavior, not slandering. So if you're going to live this holy life in public, that means no slandering. And then secondly, it says not slaves to much wine. Uh, in that culture, it would be the woman who, had had, who, had, who would have had constant access to the food and drink in the home. And if they had a larger home, there would have been a lot more abundance And the caution is not slaves to much wine. So you may have access to something. uh, You may have freedom to do something, but you need to be careful. You're not controlled by it. The gospel calls us to freedom. And I hear a lot of people push freedom 
then they abuse that freedom. Really, freedom in Jesus Christ is the freedom that I no longer have to be enslaved to sin. Freedom in Christ is that sin no longer gets to call the shots over me. Because Jesus Christ opened up the cell and I walked out free. Not now free to do whatever I want, but free not to be enslaved to sin anymore and to choose that whether I eat or drink or whatever I do, I do all to the glory of Jesus Christ. Not to be captured or controlled by anything. And what does that look like in our day? How would a Titus-like man come along and say, listen, don't be controlled as you're in your home Don't be controlled by streaming media, by good food, by sleep. Don't be controlled by your well-crafted image on social media or over-the-counter medication or alcohol. Don't be controlled by these things. Be reverent as older women in the home, in front of your children and in front of other younger women. Be reverent not slanderers, and not addicted to anything because addictions do not say the right thing about the gospel. It's interesting that Paul explains the qualifications of deacons' wives in another pastoral letter uh, where he writes, their wives likewise must be dignified, that's reverent or holy, not slanderers, he repeats the same thing he tells Titus, but sober-minded, right, not addicted, but clear-minded, sober-minded, faithful in all things. Why specifically to that group, to deacons' wives, or say, if it even means deaconesses, those who are leading in the church? And it seems to be that those working closely with people initially out of concern can have that quickly degenerate into sinful criticism, slander, and gossip. So to the women of Highlands, God's Word comes in and He says this, Be holy. In response to the grace of God that appeared, be reverent. Don't slander. Don't be addicted to anything. And that grace that brings salvation encourages older women in a second way. Look at this. The gospel encourages older women not just to be holy, but to teach what is good. Look at chapter 2, verse 3. They are to teach... What is good? So the question comes up, can women teach at Highlands? When you take all the scripture together, here is divine permission for every one of our older women in this assembly to teach. You don't need permission to disciple someone else. You don't need permission to do this kind of ministry. We don't need a program to execute this. Here's what God's word says. Older women teach the younger women. Teach what is good. Young ladies do not always have the discernment to know what is good. So God calls out another group in the church to help guide them. And it's interesting, he doesn't call out Titus to do this. Who does he call out? Older women. So that would naturally lead us to the question, older women, who are you teaching? Here, what is good? Some of our young ladies did not grow up under the example of a godly mother. Some of our young ladies grew up under a mother who, rather than protecting them, was abusive to them. Some of our young ladies have no idea the responsibility or the work that it takes to raise and nurture a child. But we have women here who do know. 
And we have women here who can come alongside and teach them what is good. And by the way, a real living human with a holy example is a lot more effective than a blog or a book where you come along and you relate and you empathize and you walk with them and you're available and you're accessible. And God's word says, older women, teach the younger women. The gospel of the grace of God encourages older women in a third way. Look at chapter 2, verse 4. Teach them what is good and so train the young women. So what you're going to teach them is not natural. You actually have to bring along a level of training. And there's going to be observation. There's going to be participation. Train the young women. Show younger women what life in Christ really looks like. So, this kind of thought just came to my mind. Your responsibility as a mom does not end when your adult children are out of your home. Now you are called to, in a sense, in a true sense, mother the household of faith, the younger women, to walk and follow Jesus Christ as they learn to do these things. How are they going to learn? By watching you. By sharing life with you. By hearing of your mistakes and saying, listen, when I, when I was younger, I got frustrated and angry and I disciplined out of wrath rather than out of self-control. They're going to learn that as they walk with you. Now, Paul moves from there, three exhortations to older women, to seven exhortations to younger women. So here's God's grace displayed through younger women. Look at Titus 2, verse 4. I'm going to read this passage again. Paul's going to say, Titus, have the older women train younger women in these seven areas. Train the young women to first love their husbands and children, that's the second, to be self-controlled, that's the third, pure, number four, working at home, number five, kind and submissive to their own husbands. Why? That the word of God may not be reviled. First, train them to love their husband. This one interestingly comes just before loving your children. And we live in a culture where it's okay by society if you love your children and despise your husband. And Paul's going to say, older women, you train them first and foremost, before anything else, to love who? Their husband. And our women know that's easy because all of us men are so easy to love, aren't we? Ask your husband. Or ask your wife. Am I, don't do that right now. Um, am I easy to love? Let's be honest. Some of us are not easy to love. Some of us are, are by choice awful communicators. Very selfish. Fixated on our own comforts. And I unfortunately appear on that list at times. We are insensitive. Um, trekking through Nepal, I, I saw a multitude of men okay with elderly moms Working like mules. Carrying the same load as mules. Women and children doing the brunt of hard labor. And we're like, ah, those undeveloped people. No, we do that too, don't we? Our burdens may not be manual, but we let our women carry the emotional burden in the home. Some of us in here, some of us men... We're okay with letting our wives carry the spiritual burden of the home. Letting them lead. 
But ladies, your love for your husband is not based on his worthiness to be loved. Or what he deserves or what you get in return either. Because the gospel is going to empower you. It's like what 1 John 4.19 says. We, we can love in an unconditional way. Why? Because God's what? He loved us first. And I didn't deserve his love. I, and I, I wasn't worth him sending his son for me. There's nothing he really got in return for saving me. He gets glory, but really, but he loved unconditionally. And now I can love that way because he loves me. Human love has intense expectations, narrow qualifications, and selfish manipulations. Divine love, gospel love, grace-fueled love is not like that. It's like God's love. It is unconditional and it is loving. And younger women need to see and observe, not just hear a lecture on loving your husband, but say, yeah, I understand. And God's word says you need to train younger women to love their husbands. And I am sure there is a wife in here whose husband rarely talks to her or who may have an Internet mistress or who is not as fun and as adventurous as the other husbands who appear on Facebook or Instagram. And that's a very difficult hurdle to jump over. So older women, are you teaching them to love their husband for who he is? By the way, don't abuse this text. This does not mean that our women have to go back into a bullying and abusive type relationship. It is not what this says. But at the end of the day, there is still an unconditional love that prays for him and intercedes for him and shows him the grace and mercy of God while also getting out of a dangerous situation. Secondly, train them to love their children. Do you know, children need to hear this. Where are all the children? Okay. You're not, this is going to sound harsh. You're not always easy to love. Not always. Because it's hard to love sometimes an obsessively unthankful, selfish person. And so when your mom shows you love, even though you sit there and you're crying like your infant brother, I hope you can see the grace of God in that. Okay? And women need to be trained to love their children. And ladies and men, we will not properly discipline our children if we do not discipline ourselves first. And so this is a training. This is an example. Tim Chester wrote this uh, on self-control. Now we're down to self-control because that's closely connected to loving their children He says, self-control and submission are profoundly counter-cultural, right? So love your husbands and children and show self-control. They're all together. Self-control is profoundly counter-cultural. It was counter-cultural in Crete. We have already seen that Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons, Titus 1 verse 12. These were people who did not control their speech, their emotions, or their appetites. It is counter-cultural today. Western culture values self-expression instead of self-control, self-fulfillment instead of self-denial, and independence instead of submission. In fact, self-control and submission have been countercultural since the moment Adam and Eve decided to act on their own impulses and desires and eat the fruit God commanded them not to. You will love your husband and you will love your children best 
when you are applying grace-fueled self-control. Father's Day is coming. We're going to be in the same passage probably. Number four, train them to be pure. And we're going to move through the rest of these very quickly. Uh, That's uncontaminated. Be sexually pure. I'm just going to be bold about this, right? I'm just going to be confront. Sexual temptation is no respecter of gender. So young ladies, be pure. Guard your thoughts. Most novels will not help you remain pure. They are deliberately designed to create unreal fantasies that breed discontent. That will cause you to love your husband and your children less. So be pure. Most films out of Hollywood will not nurture purity. So we obey 2 Timothy 2.22. Both men and women flee youthful passions and pursue. So you have this like you're turning away from this and you're chasing after righteousness, faith, love and peace along with all those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Do this in community. Flee together. Pursue together. We do that together. As older women train younger women in community, we flee these things and we run towards other things. Purity is beautiful. Our young ladies need to hear this. Purity is beautiful. Modesty adorns the doctrine of God our Savior. It presents Jesus Christ in the attractiveness that He already is. Train them. Number five, train them to be working at home. Care for the home. Manage the spiritual environment of your home. The call, by the way, to be busy at home is said not just the counter to counter being lazy at home, but also to counter the temptation to be overly busy everywhere else. Don't be so overly busy at the gym that the house is hurt for it. Don't be so overly busy at your job or your career that your home suffers for it. Don't look for status and success beyond the life God has gifted you with as a young mother. The gospel defines things very differently than our culture. Listen to Paul's instructions for widows. This is in 1 Timothy 5. I'll just read the passage. Uh, Paul says to Timothy in another pastoral letter, so I would have younger widows... Marry, bear children, manage their households, and in doing so, listen to what he says, and give the adversary no occasion for slander, for some have already strayed after Satan. And after he throws that in there, he says this, if any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. So Highlands ladies, if you have relatives who are widows, that's part of your managing your home. It's not the church to take up the slack on that. As a matter of fact, Scripture says you are to care for them. Now, just because you stay at home doesn't mean you're fulfilling this, right? This isn't geographical. Because you can easily stay at home and be lazy and slander and not care for your children. So women, you have a God-entrusted responsibility to create a gospel-centered home that displays the attractiveness of Christ. Manage the home. Care for the home. Even if you find you must work outside of the home, don't be so overly busy that your children and your husband suffer for it. Manage your home in a gospel way. Number six, train them to be kind, which means it's not natural to be kind, which means young women are more so given to being unkind and sometimes they don't even see it. Like, 
I just told her the truth. The truth shouldn't always be said. Unless it is truth and grace. Train them to be kind. And that really means a desire for the good of others. Train them to have a desire for the good of their husband, a desire for the good of their children, a desire for the good of the church, for her friends, and for any who come across her paths and intersect her life, train them to be kind. There is a testimony here on Friday night for the graduation of some of our children. And one of the young men, was his parents were able to say this, we have never heard him say a single time anything evil about someone else. In 18 years of life, train them to be kind. And then, number seven, the final point, train them to be submissive to their own husbands. He had to end on this one, right? Do you know that the gospel affects a person in evident and tangible ways? And one of the ways that you can see how the gospel, not just religion, not even write facts about a religion, the one way you can see that the gospel has actually transformed someone. Remember, when the grace appears, grace transforms. And one of those areas is in how younger women line up underneath their husband. Now, in a radical, secular feminism who has already taken the scissors and clipped this passage out of the New Testament because it is it is sexist and it is chauvinistic and is outdated. Okay, that reveals the spirit of our age and unfortunately that spirit has crept in where? Into the church. Okay, so let it not be so among Highlands ladies. Let us subject ourselves to the authoritative word of God because we do believe this. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. Okay, so here, here is the point here. When the gospel permeates your life, there is a sweetness of disposition as you line up under your husband. Why is this so important? Look at Titus 2, verse 5. That the word of God, see, it's, it's bigger than you. It's bigger than just your home. Bigger than just your children. Bigger than just the success stories of your children that you shot them out and look how successful they are. No, it's much better and bigger than that. That the word of God may not be reviled. Because when the word of God is not reviled, what you do in your homes will start to echo to the remotest parts of the world. So this is, this is an amazing thought. As you look at the New Testament, what our moms do in their home and the influence they have with their children that has the potential to send the gospel to the remotest parts of the world like the oppressive Buddhist areas of Nepal with what you do this afternoon in your home with your children with the desires and the values you point them towards and how you come along younger women and you train them this way that can have an effect. You may never visit Nepal, but it will have an effect to the remotest parts of the earth for the gospel. That the word of God may not be reviled. Godly conduct commends the message of the gospel, but it is also empowered by the grace and the glory of God. The purpose, again, is that the gospel will advance to the nations. As we have as one of our five main points that we build ministry around from our neighborhood, right? The gospel from our neighborhood... To where? To the nations. 
So, mothers, I hope you are encouraged today for all of our older women this morning. I hope you sense the joy of a God-entrusted responsibility from His Word to come alongside and to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not addicted to anything, so that you can come along and you can train younger women in these seven ways for the glory of God, so that His Word is not reviled. And some of you, maybe, are tempted to give up, to be frustrated, to be discouraged. And the fact that you will go home today and you will show a loving, unconditional love to your husband and to your children is beautiful evidence of the gospel in your home that perseveres and endures by God's grace. Let's pray.